0: Hello, welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. Today I speak with Bhavna Sharma, VP of People at SiriusXM. Bhavna and I worked together several years ago and she was kind enough to sit down and chat with me, talk to me about her cool job at SiriusXM and the path that led her there. We also talk about how she's grown to love and be proud of her Southeastern Asian culture. And we have a good laugh over a funny story in which I inadvertently exposed her bits at a wedding reception. (laughs) You don't want to miss this episode. Welcome to Relatable. Today I'm talking with Bhavna Sharma, who's the VP of People at SiriusXM. So we're excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. And um, we're also excited to have you in studio. So we'll have this both uh, on YouTube in video format, as well as uh, the regular old audio uh, that people are used to using, uh, listening to their podcasts. And Bhavna and I have known each other a long time. Um... I want to say the 2009, yeah. so whatever that adds
1: up to be, I, I can't
0: do more about fast math, <laughs> so hopefully nothing <nobody laughs> will make you do fast math. Uh, so a long time, yeah. and uh, you're someone that uh, we've kept in touch with just, you know, via LinkedIn and, and then like kept in touch, uh, I think, just socially. Uh, one of the things that uh, I felt like it was so great to have you on is because you've had an interesting path and career, right? And um, a lot of what we talk about on here is is that, like what what is your path to how you got to where you are? And um, it's never this straight line that's like super direct and easy, right? There's definitely opportunities and crossroads. And so love to talk to you about that. You're um, someone that is um, in the world of people and human resources, and that's Obviously, close to my heart. So we have a lot in common in terms okay. of our interests and everything there. So, thank you so much for being here.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Never thought that anyone would be interested <laughs> in an
0: HR field when I first started. <laughs> so I'm happy we're here. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we could start. I usually start with your current role, but before we get there, maybe we can start with did what was your degree in? Like, did you know that this was a subject area that you wanted to pursue? When you're in college, no, not okay. at all. I actually didn't even
1: know what HR was when yeah. I started college, um, and I stumbled acro- up upon it. But basically, I, uh, you know, always thought I was going to go into an artistic field. My parents were both artists. I got the artist gene, and I was like, yeah. I mean, I was so interested in fashion, and I would draw. Mm. And coming from a very South Asian family, I was like, mm, that's a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> And I was very much put in check right away. It was like, here are your options: you're either going to be an engineer, or a lawyer, or a doctor. Right. And I was like, uh, none of those sound interesting enough, right? Yeah. Or they sound like a lot of years of school. So, I yeah, I started, um, you know, undeclared, mm-hmm. and I was always interested in politics. I like live in you know out right outside of Washington D.C. So. You know, politics was very much in sort of our DNA. My dad watched the news all the time. We had a lot of conversations. So I thought, okay, well, maybe there's something there Mm -hmm. with politics. So eventually I, you know, started out undeclared um, and, you know, had conversations with people that were in poli-sci major. And I was like, this sounds great. Mm -hmm. So I went in thinking that originally I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll be the first female governor of Virginia. (laughs) Love it. Yeah. um, It was aspirational. And so I uh, went down the path and eventually was thinking, you know, I had my eyes on law school. So I, you know, interned, you know, with uh, then Governor Allen's campaign and I got to see sort of the inner workings of campaign. And I have to say, I was a little disenchanted (laughs) with politics in general and sort of like how... Um, it isn't truly what you, your campaign message is and what you say. There's just so much more and it was fully loaded. Um, and I thought, well, maybe politics isn't the right place, but I'll still go to law school. Um, and then I was like, well, you know, what am I going to do? Like, am I going to be an attorney and fight cases? I got to, um, my third year and I took an employment law class and I said, this is Fun. I was reading constitutional law, I right. was reading, um, all sorts of ways of interpreting it and, and practicality at work, and I thought, this is it. So someone mentioned, well, you know, HR. Right. I'm like, what is this? And that. the rest is history, and I immediately changed course, and instead of applying for law school, um, applied to grad school
0: and went to American University for a
1: master's in HR, and here I am. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, it's so interesting. Two things you talked about. One on the politics side, you're the second person that we spoke with that uh, that well, I've talked to a couple politicians actually, but but someone that was so passionate and wanted to pursue that kind of career, and similarly was very involved and realized that it's such a it's such a stress, right, in terms of being able to affect the change that you want and, and how you have to do it, right? Like, yeah. the, it's not just how I want to serve my community or the country. There's so much else that has to go in it. So that's that's one thing that it's interesting that you also have that experience. And then on the employment law side, you know, uh, not a lot of people know that. I don't think that when you are in the world of human resources and you do have to start to interpret law. And, and th- one of the things that I love about this career is that the variety and the different people you get to work with. So Mm -hmm. when I was more heavily, when you and I knew each other well, right, I was doing a lot of associated work. And I loved working with our employment attorneys. And I felt like that was an area where I was getting educated almost every day. And, and in fact, you, um, when we met, it was because of a merger, right? (laughs) And, um, and you at that time were the HR, uh, liaison for a really complicated group right that was like um I don't know how to quite characterize it <laughs> <laughs>
1: and 15 years later we're still struggling to characterize yeah. yeah I mean I and and what was interesting was um I intentionally went into, when I made my shift to um, management consulting, I intentionally said, you know, I want to do something in international HR because I had never done it. And I've always wanted to sort of keep learning and keep pushing. Right. And um, it was, I was, um, you know, HR managers, what we called it back then for an emerging markets practice. We were in um, the Middle East and North Africa. And while before the merger Bearing Point was very adept to it. You know, they had had that practice for years and understood stood the nuances and um, weren't trying to fit sort of this like square peg, you know? Right. And um, after the merger, it was just the most misunderstood organization and it didn't fit in in many ways. And it was constantly trying, we were constantly trying to make that work. But it was a very different. It was, you know, completely different from federal practice, which was right. which the purpose of the acquisition was to grow the federal practice. And it's obviously very different from commercial, right? So um, where did, what do you do with this group? And there was there was a lot of ER <laughs>
0: issues. So there were a lot of risk-related issues associated with it. And yeah, right. you were. Know, yeah. yeah, without giving too much away, there was definitely, uh, given the sensitivity and the risk associated with where these people were and what they were doing, um certainly it was it was far into an organization um you know that we were in in terms of the acquiree, uh and then being able to, to like there because of the massive size of where we worked and their and the structure and the infrastructure and the rules and is a very conservative organization, so being able to try to tie that. So there were some fascinating employee relations issues that I still to this day um Remember, and I've and i done a lot. So those were some of the interesting ones. Yeah, my last... hostages, right? Like oh, like crazy hostages. Right. Hostage situation.
1: Um, We've had a few people that were killed. Right. Um, there were yeah. I mean, it, we had one that was sexual right assault. Right. Um, but just I mean things. And I remember my, my last interview that I ever did for work. Because I've been here now for five years. They asked me, so let's talk about employee relations. Tell us your experience. And I said, where do I going? Do you want to know about the hospice story?
0: (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it was, I remember when I interviewed at Amazon, they asked me a question about, um, tell me about, you know, a difficult time that had like significant impact, right? And what you had to do. And I told, not related to to emerging markets, another story we had to airlift somebody out of a country where, um, There were international laws that, that inhibited where we could take this person and it was literally life or death. And this person was on life support and all these things that were going to happen, whether they could really effectively evacuate him, the family Mm -hmm. was in another country. Right. It was very complicated. (laughs) A person interviewing me was like, is there something a little more like, (laughs) right, like, like, you know, main, mainstream, mainstream." yeah, like like, these experiences are so unusual. Um, it, it's great to have an interview and very at very unrelatable. Time, yeah, exactly. <laughs> unrelatable for sure. Let's talk about your current role and what you're doing now. And, uh, because I think SiriusXM is kind of a sexy name and company and people always think of Howard Stern, right? And yeah. other programs that are, um, that are based out of that. So tell me a little bit about your experience there, how you got that job. I think people might be interested in what that interview process was like mm-hmm. for you. And then tell me, like, a typical day. Yeah, I mean, I think, so how I, I'll start
1: with yeah. how I got there. Yeah. Um, you know, I was, I was in the, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I sort of transitioned into um, management consulting, yeah. Yeah, the whole route of being, you know, focused on international HR, stayed in that area, and I felt that, you know, it was a little volatile being especially in the federal practice, right? So there was a lot of things that were happening in, in the world of politics um, and shifting of budgets and funds. And so we were constantly adjusting projects. And um, it also impacted sort of, you know, my role, right? right? So, and also it just became a bit too, sort of for me, mundane around the mill, Right. And I said, I, I, I've got to get out of federal practice and I want to do something um, back in the creative and I want to do something that's in the commercial world. And I've always been interested in Sirius XM, but from the XM side, right? So it was a local company, right. I right. drove past it often, and it was always in the back of my head for probably the last, you know, prior to starting there, 10 years, I every so often looked on their job board to see if there was anything. And I finally was like, well, I'm. Out in the market now. Yeah. Let's look, and they happened to have um, a, you know a director role open, and immediately um, I knew somebody who had worked there sent. That Yes, yeah. that is exactly how my resume was noticed because she had just left, but sent it to um, one of her HR contacts, who then forwarded on to who became my boss and. Um, I later found out after our first interview, she was like, oh, this is the one for me. But it took three months to get the offer. Really? It's a very slow sort of moving company. But after my interview, my first interview, I stopped looking. I know it's the worst thing to do. <laughs> and I would never advise anybody who's looking for a job to put all their eggs in one basket. But I was like, this is the place for me. I'm going to I have to land this. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started out supporting the content, um, team, right? So our programming team, everybody that you listen to on, um, our channels and everybody who supports them. So that was a whole fascinating world for me. I've never, you know, and hugely different coming from a very, um, federally focused conservative background, you know, Ex-military types of right. individuals to come in here, and everybody's got purple hair and cut-off and Right. Um, so it was it was a little bit of an adjustment for me. Um, and what I realized um, a few months after getting there, I was like, "This is great, but it's not enough." Right. It wasn't enough to to keep me busy because I kind of love. The, sort of the chaoticness, and I think I thrive more, and I'm much faster, and I'm busier. So I, you know, had a conversation with my boss, and I said, all right, this is great, I'm learning a lot, I, I know it's going to take me a lot longer to learn this business than I would have, you know, if transitioning transitioned back into the same world I knew, but I need something else, <laughs> and we were just getting ready to um, kick off launching our SiriusXM app, Technology, I understand. Mm-hmm. So they're like, why don't you take that group? And that group just kept growing. And then we acquired Pandora. And um, I took that on. And, um, you know, and so now I am... Over um, the lead, I guess, uh, for people for the entire technology organization and the technology organization incorporates all of our digital products, the SiriusXM app, the Pandora app and all of our products in the car, Mm -hmm. um, as well as your traditional IT world that, you know, you would think of helped us networking, right? And then on the other side of it is the broadcasting engineer. These are the people who make sure that our studios are running well and our satellites run well. So sort of the whole gamut of of technology um, bundled up in my group.
0: I think one thing people don't realize when you're in the field of human resources in terms of the business aspect. And I think you and I talked about this previously, which is the better you understand the business that you're supporting, the better, Advisor, you can be right, and we've, uh, as someone who I think is a little older than you, you know, I've seen the career progress such that you truly can be an advisor, your strategic partner. It's not so much what people think of as like behind the scenes, you know, paper pushing HR yeah. people. <laughs> um, and so, to hear you talk about finding the niche for you in terms of your own ideology or what, what, where you could add the most value, I think, is so important, right? And understanding that you could understand tech people and you did understand and you wanted more and more challenge. And and being in the consulting professional services world is very high pace. if you're used to that and wanting that same experience. So I think it's interesting that, like from a, from a business partner perspective, really understanding the business, knowing who you're, who you're working with and being able to be a value add is super important. And I don't know that people outside of the world of HR really understand that effectively we're operating in business just in a different way.
1: No, absolutely. Even, even today, if I say I'm in human resources, immediately it'll be like, Hey, well I have a cousin whose girlfriend's looking for a job. I, like, and they
0: only, only associate so, yes, with recruiting, recruiting. Mm-hmm.
1: and I don't do any of that. I mean, I, I right. partner with our recruiting team. Um, and so, so when I try to explain what I do, it's like at the end of the day, the only word that comes up with is I'm a fixer. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yes, a lot of it right. is connecting point. the dots and, um, to your point, understanding the business to the point where you start to say, "Okay, how am I going to influence this?" We've got an engagement issue here. Um, we're forecasting this, and this is what's going to happen. We're, we've got a shortage of you know uh, of talent in this area. There's development issues. There's org development. I and there's a, a number of things. But if you don't understand what's happening day to day in the business, you can't connect those dots. Right. You can't help come in and fix things, right? So, right. Yeah, it's truly important to know um, know the business and and you know have the and earn the respect of business leaders too. Because the half the battle is you're put in that role. They also have to use you. They also have to partner with you and bring right. you to the table. And they're only going to do that if you can prove that you understand what they're you know
0: dealing with and what they're working through. And you've been there for five. Well, I have two questions. So first, we'll start with the first one. For in terms of being there for five years, mm-hmm. right? That's a, a decent clip, what have you found that's helped you to be successful there, right? And, and what, what like when you got there and it was a little bit of a shock to the system in terms of culture being very different, how have you been able to, to sustain your own performance and then have staying power and have other opportunities? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, Visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information.
1: I think for me, it was always um, an interest in more. And so when I started, we didn't have a onboarding. You know, it was still operating very much like a startup mentality. It was like, oh, everybody just come by, yeah, and, you know, so and I said, wait a minute. <laughs> You know, and I went to, um, you know, our, our chief administrative officer and I said, I think that we need an, an official onboarding, you know, and, and it started with these things. Like every time I was like, I was focused enterprise uh, wise, right? Enterprise wise. Yes. <laughs> Get that word right. Yeah. Um, I was focused more broadly than just doing my job. I, I immediately was like, okay, here's a gap. Here's where we can fill it. And I think that is what. Um, for me, helped me continue to grow, yeah. helped me continue to actually learn the business and learn sort of all of the operations because when I put that onboarding piece together, I had to understand everything from what happens when a person walks in the door, even before that, right? So it was your experience. All of that, yeah. yeah. The entire experience of the, that employee's onboarding, I was able to document. That framework still exists five years later. Now, obviously, they continue to iterate. It, right. right. You now we have an entire employee experience team, which we didn't have. And so it continues to grow, but I think just having that, like, focus of, like, not just focused on my small little group and my world, it's like, what else is happening? How else can I make this better? And I think that's what, and I still do that to
0: this day. Yeah. I think you mentioned something, the, the value out of trying to see where there's a gap, see where there's something that needs to be accomplished, and then, and then taking an advantage of, here's how I can help fix yeah. that. It's so, excuse me, it's so, uh, like, I know I look for that, right, in people that work with me or the teams that I've worked with, like, being able to anticipate that need and then deliver it on that. It's just, it then breeds more opportunity, for sure. And
1: I I think I'm in an environment, right, I recognize that quickly enough, um, or at least maybe I forced it for myself, but... In environment where I created my own job, I created my own opportunities, right. and right. it was just me constantly pushing, and I know I have that reputation now, of, well, let's go talk to Bob and see what she thinks, right? <laughs> that's good, good though, that right? That is good, right? So, being involved sort of at that angle and is, I think, for me, just, um, <clears> it's more fulfilling. I don't want to just check the box and go to work from 9 to 5, you know? Right. I, I want to make the improvements. I want to make it better, and I, you know, for me, that's... Just,
0: what's like? What are some of the perks, right? If you get to work at like a cool place where there's um, interesting talent, what are, do you have? Some cool perks, or has that been impacted by the pandemic? It has slowed down. Yeah, but prior to that, um,
1: access to concerts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't actually um, take up, you know, D- take I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a big concert goer, but when there was somebody that I needed to see. I picked up the phone and I was like, oh, okay. So Lady Gaga was the last one, uh, last concert I saw <clears throat> through Sirius XM, and it was a very much, I need a ticket. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> make, it
0: make it happen. Make it happen.
1: And I mean, of course, and my boss was like, come on, and it was in New York, it was at the Apollo, it was a very intimate um setting. Ooh. We we do a lot of those where we'll have like um concerts just for our listeners, and of course, a lot of the Employees go, not a lot, a decent amount of employees go, but it's really a, con, uh, a, a listener appreciation. So they're super intimate, super small, and they're talking to us. They'll say, How are you doing with SiriusXM? And how are you doing that? And so you feel like, Oh my gosh, they're performing for me. Right, <laughs> right? So it's really, really cool. Um, but I mean, when I go up to the New York office quite often, bumping into a celebrity happens. <laughs> and, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. I was there doing a very serious talent review. And I'm in meetings, and we're, we're getting really into um, a particular person's sort of path, and we're stuck on, like, these are all the amazing things they're good at, but here's what they need to work on. Right. And I get, like, texts are keep going. <laughs> and as so I look at my phone, and my friends are like, wow, no, am in te- Mimi's in the building, because they knew I was in New York. Uh, okay. Mimi, Mariah Carey, was in the building with Ray, you know, with, uh, uh Andy Cohen. And I'm like, uh, what am I supposed to, to go over It's There's lighting. <laughs> so it, it's just funny. Like yeah. if you're in a meeting and like, you know, somebody walks by and you're like, oh, there's so-and-so. <laughs> I always felt like that
0: because, uh, one of the 30 Rock is one of the buildings for, where we used to work and, uh, I was there all the time. And, um, the, you know, the show and SNL are in that yeah. same building, and I was always, you know, they keep, like, the elevator banks are yeah. different for those people. But a couple of times, I think we saw Carson Daly. Like, there's definitely, you get some good traffic in there yeah. sometimes in terms of that. Um, what about Howard Stern? Any any dish, any scoop?
1: You know, you I supported the programming and right. content group but I never had sort of access to Howard. Howard right. was very, very protected. He has his own very private studio. No one's allowed access in the private studio. He has his own elevator that he uses to go. <laughs> So, no. Yeah. Very little. Very little. But I think that's fine, and because
0: um, everybody wants to know, and I think that's how you contain sort of the rumor mill right. about sure. Know, everything. sure. And I think you had mentioned to me once time we were chatting about this that he – Surprisingly, not maybe surprisingly, but that, um, off, off camera, sort of off air, like he's super, um... Like, he's the most genius about how he runs his business, right? I think that's Yeah, it's obvious given how much success he's had. But Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I mean, I think he demands a lot, but he takes care of his people and he takes care of his team from yeah. what I hear. Um, and he, yeah, it's that, that you you immediately dismiss him when you see his on-air personality as some goofball. Right. But he's not. And right. you right. don't get this far in radio, first of all, right. Um, to be this genius. And, yeah, he runs his team really yeah
0: Tell me about just in terms of your earlier life, right? So one of the things that I like to chat with people about are just any events or situations that shaped how you have proceeded through through your own Like We talked about you starting in college and how you navigated to this career, but was there anything in terms of your young adult life or any um, a situation or occurrence or people that impacted you in a way um, that changed the course of your life or anything that you had to kind of work through that was a challenge or difficult? I,
1: I mean, I to be personal, yeah. I, mean, I think for me the challenging thing was um, being diagnosed with depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now, I never knew what was wrong with me, if you will, right? And never got diagnosed with that as a child. Um, my parents, again, being from a culture that doesn't or didn't really recognize mental health, always just sort of, like, narrated my behavior as, oh, she's just a wild child. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> just' know? Or we're dramatic. Or right? like, well, dramatic. Or right. moody. or right. You know, it was always just categorized as, like, just her being her. And it wasn't. It was angst. It was other things. It was whatever. But got to college, and um, I had a, had a pretty serious, like, episode. And went to the school psychologist, and I think that's where I was starting to, like, understand that this was more than just me being moody, or, you know. Right. Um, so, um, learning to deal with that. My first job, um, I was working full-time, going to grad school full-time. The pressure was on. It was a lot. And I had a, a huge sort of breakdown at work. And, um, and, again, I'm an advocate of, like, EAP and all right. those things. I didn't
0: really know what any of that meant. Right. EAP e- is in place. For- it's a program, yeah. and they offer a lot of, you know, yeah. support and support um, and therapy
1: sessions, counseling sessions being one of them. So a colleague of mine found me under my desk. <laughs> but I, I, I didn't even know what was I was having a panic attack. I didn't know what was happening. I was under my desk and uh, hyperventilating and uh, cut to... they called the AP and I kept saying, No, I'm fine. Of course I wasn't fine. Right. <laughs> um right. and they put me on. And I think for me that was so sort of impactful. And now when I you know talk to people and counsel people, um it, it's it's I push it and I always let them know that I've used it, it works right, for me. You know, right deal. But having said all that, I think it was my challenge to be able to balance that and balance all of those sort of emotions and figuring all of that out, um, kind of on my own. And not letting it show up at work. You know, I felt really weak when that first happened. So To constantly be seen as like put together and I got it. And no good cries at work and I'm strong. And also being a female, you have a lot of other connotations associated with it. So it's that constant struggle of, and I feel like some of that made me be more restrictive in how I showed up. Mm -hmm. But,
0: you know. You went through it. How would you say, because it was undiagnosed for so long, like, if for people that are listening, how would you say some of those symptoms showed up without you knowing what was going on, right? Were you were you tired? Were you were you less engaged? Were, you know, was the anxiety more, like, was it physical? Was it more mental? Like, how did it show up for you before you figured out what it was?
1: Um, really good question. Um, withdrawn? Mm. I often heard things or comments from, you know, from my friends in college. Oh, you think you're you, you think you're too good to hang out with us. And it wasn't so much of me not hanging out with us, because I thought I was too good to hang out with them. I was a hot mess. Uh, <laughs> you know? So I would just withdraw. I was a, I'm an introvert by nature to begin with. And so going back within was the only way I knew how to sort of deal with it. Um, I got into a weird pattern of staying up all night and, um, you know, working through whatever I was going through my schooling and reading, writing, and then sleeping all day, missing classes. But yeah. also being a policy major, I could do that, right? I mean, all I had to do was read a stack of books this <laughs> time. I could do that on my own. I didn't have to go. So I, I used a lot of tools that I just picked up that were survival mechanisms. Right. And one of them was just kind of deep diving into things
0: that, you know, kept me busy and You alluded to this a little bit. I'm curious about, you know, being a woman, right, in terms of your career and and how you've had to navigate that, but also in terms of, you know, your demographics and, and your race. So I'm curious for you how that has served you well or how that's been a challenge. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, no, I think that was always, and in many ways, it still somewhat comes up a little, Mm -hmm. but very self conscious about both of those things, but more so being South Asian, Mm -hmm. right? I think um, in my career, I didn't see um, very many South Asians, and I very especially not in HR. Um, Mm -hmm. So, right, with my colleagues, I was always the outsider. That's how I felt. I don't think they, they saw that but that's how I was felt um and so for me yeah it always was a top of mind my first leadership position I got I was at um USA weekend magazine under USA Today and I am the head of HR sitting at a table of mainly all um, white men in their 50s and I just turned 30 years old (laughs) And um, I just felt like such a fraud. Like, first of all, how dare I? Right? <laughs> why am I here? How, why did they even hire me? What's happening? And then, um, constantly feeling self-conscious about my ideas—they were good. Now that I, I like, I look back and I'm like, I had good ideas. I had good like right. thoughts, and I was too afraid to communicate them. I was too afraid to bring them up. Or if I did, I did it in a way where it was a little too apologetic. Or to ensure, you know, and I I didn't have that conviction, and, um, it just, yeah, it was constantly this reminder of, like, A, why are you here, you you're too young, or you're a woman, or you're, you know,
0: you're Asian, I think that always stuck in my head. And And how do you feel, like, are you, are you past that, you know, is that still for you something that you have to consciously address in a way to talk yourself out of it, or have you seen... environment around you progress or is it a little bit of both
1: i think that i have matured and i have a lot more confidence Mm -hmm. in you know in myself and um in a way the environment has matured but just last week i had a call with two male leaders where they were talking over me (laughs) and but the old me may have handled it differently the 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 me that I am today was like, "Excuse me, <laughs> let <laughs> me finish my <laughs> thought." <on. laughs> right, and yeah. they're like, "Oh yes, of course, right." But so, does it still happen? Yes, I think there are times, but I'm handling it differently, and I don't let it sort of, you
0: know, shatter my confidence. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. fascinating. We talked about this with another guest where she talked about uh, being in a room. Um, she was FBI, and, and and she was talking about how she had ideas and thoughts and would wait and other people would communicate those same thoughts yes. and she would think why like that's why he's thinking <laughs> but just you know because of that whatever that it's so hard to articulate what mm-hmm. that is because it's a person most people would say well you're just making a choice not to communicate that. Like that's right. kind of on you. It's not the environment. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a confidence thing but it's also once you do it And you have success, and I think this is probably any, like, gender or race, right? Like, once you do something, you have success, you know you can do it again. But there's a construct that makes that more challenging. And then it's just this domino effect, right, of being able to do that. So it's so interesting that you say that, that you're able now to, in the moment, when you have something to say, and, and similarly, like, you know, I'm in an organization where we've got very, where I do a lot of consulting, where there's very senior people and there's more junior people. And having, for the less experienced people, permission to try to get the word in, right? Because people talk over each other, and the more senior people, you know, they definitely they tend to have the floor, right? So how do you create an environment where you have permission to do that? And then too, like taking taking a moment and being able to assert yourself in an appropriate way that. Is like appropriate for the conversation, right, and the business yeah. that you're in. So
1: interesting because I think that awareness is such a huge understanding the imbalance. Right. If you've never had to feel that way, right. you don't know there's an imbalance, right. and you are naturally going to think it is a choice. You chose not to speak up. You can. Right. I do it, right? But I think the the all of this training and right. that we're doing now associated mm-hmm. with. Um, you know, DNI and equity is helping to sort of raise people's, like, awareness around that imbalance in that room and sort of that engagement, right? It's like inclusion isn't just like being in the room. It's like, okay, let's reach out. Let's right. kind of be observant of what's happening and be a little bit more. I have always had a major practice of, um, tapping into, um, you know, our, our younger people in the room, right? On the team. And, so the the you know so the conversation is just not dominated by a bunch of senior folks, right? right. Like the reason we have diversity of age group right. and right. thought, I mean, it's just to have different ideas, right? So I think that for me um, and anyone sort of more you know in the senior role is to kind of look at the room and and, and bring somebody out, right? So right. I mean, what do you think, so and so? And what do you think, right? right? What are your thoughts about that? Um, I think that's helpful, but I do see young people actually have of confidence in themselves today and it's not where when I was starting out we were a little bit more timid and maybe waited to be invited in the conversation I am at least seeing from you know in the, the, the groups that I support they're very confident and so I'm picking up from that as well I think part of my sort of education and confidence building was to see like well you know look at them look look how they're sort of operating in their and they' you know and, and they're comfortable operating in this environment so um, yeah I mean it, it's 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 um, a combination of just I think um, people bringing in having that awareness about being engaged versus you know not and you might kind of have an exclusion in that in those in those situations
0: for sure and I think that's such a great point about drawing it out and being observant right and, and anyone can do that it's not um, it's not, it's not only for those that are in a anointed leadership position, right? Anyone can do that. I think the other thing that you mentioned, while maybe those that are a different generation or generations that are coming after us, what I've noticed is while there is more comfort, the art of influence and the art of how you do that is where there's some gaps. Yeah. And this gets to the whole soft skills thing that I'm yeah. so passionate about. But being able to collaborate and influence in a way that gets you the outcome versus this is just, this is my opinion and this is what I think and this is what I want, right? Like there's an art form to it that I think takes
1: time to establish that. I agree. And I think for me, um, one of the soft skills that I'm very passionate about is, um, language. Yeah. Words are so important. And I think it was more important to me being Um, an immigrant. I came here when I was uh, five years old and I, you know, already knew, and when you're young, it's more important, right? right? I already knew I didn't look like everyone else. I was hell-bent on making sure I sounded like everyone else. So, language was so important to me and saying things the right way and not ever being made fun of if I didn't say it the right Right. way. So, I focused so much on how to articulate, focused so much on how to sort of say things, um, you know, kind of bubble things down in a very succinct way. Um, and so for me, I think one of the soft skills that I see that are lacking kind of to what you were saying yeah. are the ability to like really articulate yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. There are people who are more comfortable in, com- um, in sharing, but how you say things is also important. Um, I often have young people who want to talk to me about career progression and their development. Right. And, and again, Specifically, being able to say what is it that you want, what is it that you want to do, and you know where do you feel like you fit into the organization. Just having that awareness—it's coming to me—and they'll go, "Oh well, I've been in, doing this job for a long time." Okay, well, what are you interested? In? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not an answer. Right. <laughs> so right. let's talk through some of that. And I ask a lot of questions. But anyways, to me, I think that is such an important soft skill. Right, like, is being able to really know how what you're thinking and how to articulate it.
0: You said something that's interesting about, and I, I want to come back to the soft skills for sure, but in terms of you coming at five and then being almost the blending, like wanting to blend and not stand out based on being different. Yeah. And, uh, we've had some other conversations with people of color. And so I'm curious for you, how, how much now that where you are in, in your life, like how much do you feel like you had to divorce yourself from... Your culture and where you're from to to blend right to, to that sort of extent that then it's not an issue versus owning that and being proud of it and then I'm thinking too with your family right because that family culture like do you is is this weird like balancing act between fitting into this culture and and blending so that you can succeed here uh, versus kind of, I don't betraying is maybe too strong of a word, but do you feel like you have to be one or the other, or has it been this thing over time that you've been able to, to work out? It's a journey. Yeah. It was,
1: um, immediately a sort of, uh, no, uh, I don't I, want, I don't want any part of it. Right. I don't want to, I don't want to speak the language. I don't want to look different in any way, shape or form.
0: If you'd like to advertise with Relatable, please email us at info at for more information.
1: And that actually was a sentimentality that I had, like through you know, grade school through high school. I remember we were in the you know at a, at the mall or something with my mom, and my mom was speaking to me in Hindi, and I was like, Mom speak English you know? <laughs> and I was so embarrassed right, right. I mean, the, you go through that and um because acceptance is so important as a, for a young person mm-hmm. we get to college and it was the first time that I saw so much pride in people for being who they are who they are where they came from right they, they, yeah right their 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 heritage and um their culture and I just the first two years I was a little bit um unsure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i made a lot of friends that were South Asian, but I was still very much like, I don't,
0: I'm not sure if I,
1: if I fit in 100%. Right, right. And I think cut, you know, cut two, I'm at a point where I think it's so cool that I know another language, but two are. other languages. I, I think it's so cool that I have a different, you know, sort of cultural awareness and all these things that I bring. I think our assets now that were things that I thought were the most hideous and embarrassing before. Um, and, but to me also being so, um, you know, um, uh, ambitious about my career was another area that I felt that might've been betrayal, right? So my mom comes from a very, very small town interesting in India, very parochial and it was important. Education was important, but it was like more important, great, you had a degree, um, but you need to get married. And you to settle it on, and you to have family, you know. It was a lot of that, and I those weren't things that I was focusing on. And I think there was this constant sort of battle at home about you know what my ambitions were and where, what I wanted to do versus what the expectation was of my family, of society. At least in that generation, right? And I right. Say generation, because I do think that that mentality has very much shifted. Um, my sister's raising children, and she's not raising children in that in, you know way at all, right? So I think that sort of the, the first generation of parents coming in were, you know, in the seventies and eighties were right,
0: still holding on to a lot of those older values, but it's shifting along the way. That's something you and I chatted about that maybe if you'd be willing to talk about here too, in terms of not being married and not having kids, right? And how that's impacted your relationships either with other women or with coworkers like do you feel like there's pressure Still, to be like redating. When are you having kids? Like, is that does that ever go away, or do you feel like at this point, yeah. um, right, that 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 that's better? Or I don't even know if that's right. the right term. It,
1: well, now come to think of it, I don't think anyone's asked me in a long time about. When, when I'm having children, and maybe it's because I'm starting to look old. I <laughs> know, like that should have for her. <laughs> no, uh, but yes, I mean, I think mean, that it's always a thing. It's like it, they assume it's a week, often, right? Right. right. And I I'll, always I'll say, oh, I'm going on vacation, or I'm. Here, yes, I am. Oftentimes, I most times I'm with friends, but they naturally assume that there is a week, and. wow, well, confident, happy, single person. Right, you know, right. And so, it, it is definitely interesting culturally. Um, but I, th- I know, it's funny, I read a lot of articles about that. There are far more women that, especially in the city, right, in Washington, right. Right? The city, um, that are accomplished, um, single, buying homes, making, you know, big like, purchases, going right. on vacations. So I think the mood's shifting in that way, but boy, let me tell you, like there was always a, and the the worst question isn't why well, don't you have a And It's kind of like what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? like it implies like like that there were, you were damaged or there's something wrong with you. Otherwise, why would you be single? You know?
0: Right, right. Just the worst. Yeah, that's very frustrating. And I feel like I hope, right? I hope we we're getting better at that. And I and I think you see a lot now of people that are you know, on their own deciding whether they want to parent, right. And just do it themselves. Or one of the things that we talked about before that I loved, you had mentioned like taking tri- trips by yourself. Like you've decided like there's a place you want to go. You're going to take that trip. And that's like, I think that is so adventurous in terms of being able to, um, how kind of to be on your own and forge a path. Like that's got to feel like help with your own confidence and independence too. Yeah. It's
1: really interesting. I first started traveling on my own when I was in um, grad school and um, you know it was another episode issue. I think it was related to the one I was telling you about it, like yeah. in terms of timing now that I'm thinking about it but it was like I told you I, I pulled away Right. so I, I was turning 25 and I wanted to go to Italy so I, I was going to Italy but I was going through this, this group through a university because they were focusing on art um, and studying art for two weeks and I was like, going to tag along with them. And when I told my mother, you know, I was going overseas by myself, it was like, you know, kind of like, no. Right. And everything was always hinged on, oh, you can do all the traveling you want when you're married, you know, and as if like my yeah. husband was going to take care of all of that stuff and I can, you know, be protected or something. I went anyways, and I went alone and ended up making lifelong friends and it was so fascinating and so much fun and it was great, but... That was the sort of the spark for me for traveling, traveling
0: alone, being adventurous, and you know, never stopped. So So one of of the things I said I had to share on this podcast is (laughs) this wonderful story that um, that when you and I were um, out of this is the 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 segue for me is that I do think you have um, you have a great spirit about you and a very. you'll kind of, like, you'll roll with it, right, and you're a lot of fun to be with, right, the, like, the outside of sort of the context of um, being very smart and accomplished, and so we were at this wedding, and, um, and you and I knew each other fairly well, but I don't think we had, like, spent, like, a lot of time socializing outside of work, right, so we're, so we're at this wedding, and, um, we're having a great time, and you had brought your date, it was a classic, a it was a really good friend of yours, right, yeah. And then my husband and I, somehow we ended up, I think, at the same table, and then we were all dancing. And you had this gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful, stunning white dress that um, had a night nice, like, huge gold zipper up the front. Front it's, and back. It was front and back, yeah. <laughs> And so, and it was like very well fitted, right? Like, and, um, and so we were all laughing. Maybe there was a of liquid courage that was involved. And so we're dancing, we're having a great time, and you were like standing like right in front of me, and there was just, in that moment, there was something, the zipper had a big, like gold circle on it, and I was joking, and I went to like to pretend to pull the zipper, and I actually pulled the zipper, and it like came it down, down to point. like here. And your here. reaction was like, "Oh my god!" And uh, my, my husband, husband just left the scene, scene. like but immediately. Was like, "I have no part in this." He was totally. He's like, more You it. And you handled it like such a pro. Like, your, your ability... This is one of the things I love about people that, that draws me to people is when you can laugh at yourself, right? I feel like that's how I've made a lot of friends. That's how I've, like, maintained a decent network is, like, to have a sense of humor. You have such a good sense of humor about it. You're so cool about it. I think we laughed all night about it, right? And to this day, like, whenever we talk. I think about that story. I think about how... Just, again, yeah. like, how great you handled that situation. I do you remember, remember it? it? Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, and, 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 like,
1: there was a lot of wine. to <laughs> <laughs> be yeah, God. I do recall, and I just remember it was so funny, because I don't think anyone ever really, really thinks it's a real zipper. <laughs> 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 that dress has caused a lot of commotion. Really? Way. I wore it uh, two or three times. The wedding was one, and I wore it another time, and... <laughs> It
0: elicited a lot of yeah. <laughs> it. <laughs> it was a, a magic dress. Yes, it did.
1: It did. <laughs> I I, it was a friend of mine, my dearest friend, got married in um, in you right? I I officiated their wedding. Oh, nice! And yeah, it was so beautiful yeah. up on the roof. And I mean, I'm up on the on a mountain. We climbed and hiked. And as, um, anyways, we got back to DC, and there was a, a big sort of party for them. And I had that dress on and one of their friends, lawyer, worked on the hill, walks walks in and um immediately was like said something so appropriate, like I wanna just put my teeth on that zipper and it
0: down, or something like
1: that. And I I, we instantly just became
0: friends. So great. It's a gateway. For us, is a gateway to <laughs> friendships, to <laughs> lifelong relationships. Inappropriateness. <laughs> but, yes, it's all collective. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. A couple of other things. Totally bizarre segue. Tell me a little bit about, for you, in your own path, what are um, some of the areas of development that you've worked on that you have found, you know, we've all got our strengths and then we've got things that we're, that we're working on. So maybe just, if you would talk a little bit about that in terms of how you've handled that, right? If someone's come to you with, with an opportunity for, for your growth and development, and is there, is there been like a constant theme for you? That's something that you, like mine is detail oriented, right? I'm definitely with the details. Um, I've, i worked very hard to like be better at that, but over time I write, and I used to be like ashamed of it. And it was like, if you're not detail oriented, that means you're not as smart as the next person in the room. Right. So that's just my thing that I have to, you know, I'm very big picture oriented and, you know, I'm a creative thinker. And, and so you learn to decide to embrace the things that you have, but also there's definitely things that you, that you've on that help to create that holistic package. Yeah. What's well, been something for you that you've been able to, to address or work on or that's been, you know, I think that's helpful for people to hear about that, you know, in terms of how other people work through those challenges.
1: So i think two things. One is just kind of an interesting sort of observation of myself, but it has come back as feedback, right? One is to me, I'm not one of those people that has to be in a meeting and has to say something. If the conversation is going and Someone else has already made that comment or thought, I don't feel the need to repeat it or, you know, I'm, I'm listening, I'm, I'll chime in when it, something hasn't been said. And that can be interpreted as you're either not engaged or you're, you don't know, you, you know you're, you're not sure, you're right. unsure, you're, you know. And so I have to constantly remind myself, it is, it, everything is on, you're always on display no matter where you are. So you always have to yeah. remind myself to, um, to plug in. I mean, to, 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 even if I have to repeat it, just so people are aware, know, you know. But to me, it's like, it's the obvious. Like, I don't have to keep piling on. I don't have to chime in. But the many ways to kind of do. Because people are still watching, right? Right. So it's a, it, it comes back in, in so many forms as feedback. But, um, so that's one. And yeah. the other one was, I mentioned earlier, where I was so focused on, sounding proper or sounding a certain way that one of my sort of, um, you know, development areas that I need to work on is being able to speak off the cuff. Right. When I'm addressing, um, teams or addressing a lot, large audience for me, I have to prepare, I have to take, you know, I have to write sort of bulleted notes because I want to make sure I say everything right. And sometimes you can just wing it. Sometimes you can just go up and like, but there's that level of sort of, you know, am I saying it the wrong way? And so I've come a long way from it. I'm a mm-hmm. lot more comfortable just, you know, going up and winging it and knowing that I'm confident enough to speak on a topic. But, um, you know, it, there's just always been this public speaking sort of fear. It's like, not so much fear of the people, but fear of, like, not saying the right Having thing. the right yeah. word at the right so, time.
0: Yeah. I think it's interesting that you get to a point as you age around the 80-20 or 80% is good enough. And I think when you're trying... Uh, as we did, and you alluded to this, and I, I think it was the same way, I don't know if it was so much gender specific, or just working in an environment that was very high stakes, high pressure, Mm -hmm. a lot of really talented people, and wanting to feel like you're, uh, at the same level you're competing at this, you know, competing is a strong word, but that you're able okay. to deliver, right? right? In
1: many environments at work, you are competing. Right. right. And, and and the idea that, that, that if you don't get, if you're not perfect, then it's not, you can't progress. And yeah. I
0: think that is a huge fallacy, actually. Absolutely. And being able to uh, be that 80% allows you to move quicker. It allows you to be more, um, I think, open to like, what's happening in the moment, right? All the things that you just mentioned. So I feel like that's, I appreciate you being open and vulnerable about that and that there continue to be things that you're, that you're kind of working on. Absolutely. We're not robust, right. <laughs> For sure. So along those lines, I just have a couple of questions Up One is around, um, your own, like when you think back to, you know, you shared so much about your own personal journey as well as your professional journey. I'm curious if you were to give coaching, to young Bhavna, right, the, the Bhavna that was maybe high school age or, you know, when you're just sort of coming out of college, and now you, and you have this breadth of experience behind you, what, what counsel or what would you tell her that might make the, the road a little bit easier? Wow. Or how, how she could maybe navigate yeah. it with a little less agita.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think. Learning vulnerability mm-hmm. early on, um, and not seeing it as a weak, not seeing things as a weakness immediately, because when you see things as a weakness, you start to overcompensate, and the overcompensating can come across in, in in many ways. For me, it came across as arrogance, um, and uh, it, and I everything that was happening inside was completely opposite of arrogance. But being vulnerable, being able to like actually say things like not sure and I don't know and not always having the right answers not always trying to be perfect and I think I talked about that earlier was like always hey, showing out perfect um can be a detriment because again if, if you're not in that moment and you're not sure in that moment there's so many other signals you might be giving that are not accurate to who you are and misrepresenting you um so I think just learning vulnerability now I'm like the first person to say well. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, or maybe today I'm like, I don't know how to handle this and I need to step back from it. And maybe walk around and come back and revisit it after a couple of meetings or whatever, right? So I'm able to recognize that right away um,
0: and ask for help, right? Yeah, asking for help is so huge. Do you think you knew it came across as arrogance? Were you even. No, I wasn't aware. It didn't even. So So that's that's a great great, read, that's a great great piece piece of of advice for people that may be interpreting other people's. Yeah, behavior is mean, arrogant when maybe there's, there's all of these there's a lot of walls, walls that right? I was putting up, and, and so yeah,
1: it took me a long time to understand. I kept thinking, why am I so misunderstood? <laughs> 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 right? Why am I? What is happening? And then you have to really start to kind of examine yourself and say, okay, that time I was misunderstood, how what what was happening?
0: Right.
1: And what did right. I say? What did I do? There's a lot of that introspective. So yeah, I mean, learning that is. Really yeah. It is,
0: and I think especially for the, the like less experienced, or even when you are in, in high school or college, the idea of you're, you're, you're trying to put your best self forward, but it almost becomes to the detriment of being real. Mm-hmm. And now with everything they have around social media and everything else, it's almost like that real factor of Stay connected connected to that real part of yourself and where you can and where it feels okay and safe, because because I know it's a scary time, really can't be totally vulnerable and out there all the time, Mm but pushing yourself to do it and be be more, being more confident in who you are, or Mm -hmm. feeling more settled than trying to be someone else, right? It just, it helps a lot. Um, All right. on the soft skills side, you talked about language. I think you have a unique perspective given your role. And, and you're looking at a lot of talent and you're evaluating a lot of talent. So you mentioned the importance of language, which I think is also super important, and the intention of language and how you use it. What else do you see in terms of gaps or that you see are critical areas that people that are emerging talent, they're trying to progress their career in terms of the soft skill space around, like I had mentioned before, influence, collaboration, communication. Verbal, nonverbal, teaming—you know those those areas. What would you say is is up top of your mind right now when you're working with talent? I think to, for people to focus and develop. Yeah,
1: I think if you are um, interested in leadership, where mm-hmm. I see some leaders kind of fall flat or struggle is with um, empathy. And like having EQ, mm-hmm. you know, just having that sort of people focus, people-aspect of things. Um, that is, you know, it's easy. I mean, to me, again, when I was younger, I thought that was a weakness. And it's not, right? Right. right. It's a strength, and it's such a strength. And um, you can be a very powerful, um, influential leader um, and have... In the EQ to recognize how to behave, how to pick things up, how to understand the nuances of a, of a team or a group, um, be sensitive to sort of, you know, understanding, you know, through sort of your be you know, sensitive to sort of how you got there or how to manage you, right, to be situ- situational, right? right. So I think that to
0: me is like a huge... And do you find, this is what I'm curious about, your perspective. We ran into it a lot, or I did anyway, in the professional services world. Like, if you're really good in your area of expertise and you're somebody in the in the consulting world that is a rainmaker and can sell, right, and create, have accounts that do well, you're applauded for that, you're rewarded for that, you're incentivized to that. And so there isn't as much of an expectation to develop and deliver on the EQ side, mm-hmm. right? And, and then, then it becomes, becomes, not always, but it can, it can become problematic, and then it's all about mitigation and coaching, coaching, right? So, so it's so important that I think, even if you are very strong in whatever discipline you're seeking, that you take care and time to, to develop that other side because that just makes you more impactful, more productive. Like, I don't think people realize how much it ties to overall performance. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and I also think those people who don't show it, they have it because they're able to sell. So, how do you sell, right? right? You're able to relate to people. So, you choose sometimes, often enough, you know, yes. um, but not to, to display it all the time. And again, if you go back to things where I was talking about, about at maybe show to them if they think it's sweetness, right? Yeah. The other thing is for leaders to, to recognize what your gaps are and to hire for those gaps. Don't hire anybody yeah. that's like you, because then you're just perpetuating whatever those areas and gaps are but higher to those gaps so being aware of your own sort of you know strengths but also being aware of like areas that you may not be that strong and surrounding yourself with a team that can help sort of build that up right yeah
0: thank you so much this was a blast i really appreciate you being here I feel like you had so many great nuggets and words of wisdom and uh i really i'm so happy you know we've been trying have this conversation for a while so i really appreciate it and Wish you nothing but success as you sore soar in your HR <laughs> career. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks nice for having us. Thank you, Bhavna, for your vulnerability and candor throughout this conversation. It's so appreciated sharing your diagnosis of depression and how that impacted you both socially, academically, and professionally, and what you've done about that uh, and what you've done to overcome that. Your honesty about your development areas in terms of learning to speak up when you're someone who's more inclined to listen and observe and how sharing your opinion is really important. And I also really loved your comments about being vulnerable and how sharing that vulnerability is really important and that sometimes when you don't or if you have walls up that can come off as being arrogant or as too much ego when that's really not the case. I also want to thank Missy, our producer for Relatable, and a sh- quick shout out to Hannah who recently joined our team and is helping us with the podcast. Thank our Relatable community. As a reminder, if you would like to subscribe, you can find us on YouTube or the, any, or your favorite streaming platform. You can also find more information about Relatable at and our sponsor TFA Soft Skills at www.tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.